Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Sends and Suffers podcast. I am your host, Mario Stanley. Today, we have the man, the myth, and the legend, Mr. Jeff Jackson, on the episode. I cannot tell you how excited I am. This man is a Texas living legend and probably single-handedly the best gift that Texas has ever given to rock climbing, maybe even to the world. I don't know. That's a tall order, but if you know of him... You know, I would say that before we just jump into this episode, I want to thank everyone for liking, following and subscribing so much. This podcast has been growing and it's only by your love and support. And if you guys haven't already, please check us out on the Patreon. We have launched the Sends and Suffers podcast Patreon. You can join the in the know with all the details, extra bonus reels. We're dropping some bonus reels from the previous episode 23 with Kaya on there real soon. I cannot wait to interact and connect with you guys. And yes, we are still mailing out stickers. We're still doing that. However, there is a little bit of a hiatus on that. We're working on production issues. Those will happen. And yeah, but that's enough of me rambling. Let's go ahead and get into the episode with Mr. Jeff Jackson. Enjoy because I already am now. All right, we're good. Yeah. Um, Aloha. Nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sense and Suffers Podcast. I'm your host. And today is a pretty rad day. I have Jeff Jackson here with us. And I am, this is a funny thing. If you have been climbing over 15 years, I feel like your name is well known. If you haven't been climbing over 15 years, you and you live in Colorado, you someone's definitely climbed on your routes <laughs> or Mexico. Well, I thought or you were t- going to say, if you haven't been climbing 15 years, you have no idea who the hell this is. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that's, that's probably, probably true. I mean, you know, I, but I think pe- more people know more people have touched your work than know who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing. So in a previous podcast, I was talking to my buddy Wolverine, Justin, and he's a flight medic in Grand Junction. And we were just talking about you and we were, and someone had asked us a couple of days ago, like, you know, who had, you know, where do you think most routes come from? And that, and we were both brought, dropped your name simultaneously. It was like, the man is prolific. <sighs> it's like, like, I think, I believe you have white blood cells and bolting blood cells that run around. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to, I'm not going to assume that everyone listening to this knows who you are. So if you wouldn't mind, who are you, where are you from? And what is your connection to the outdoors? Let's see. Well, uh, I'm from here. I'm from Dallas area. Grew up in north of Dallas in a little town called Parker, Parker, Texas. And um, yeah, I learned to climb just by kind of making it up back in 1977. Got in trouble at, uh, at school for playing hockey in the bathroom with, uh, with like a little puck thing that we pulled off a urinal. And my punishment was to write a book report. And I had to write a book report. And so I went to the library there in Plano, Texas, and picked out a book called In High Places. And it was about a guy, Dougal Haston, who's a climber. And I was like, shit, this is interesting stuff, man. This is like the best thing going outside of war. You know, when you're yeah. in sixth grade, you're like, shit, uh, it's too bad there's no war going on because then I could shoot guns and stuff. But yeah, climbing okay. was the next best thing. And, uh, you know, little did I know it would go out to Railroad Trestle, kind of Renner, on Renner Road. Oh, so yeah. For those people who know that area, yeah. there was a, a Railroad Trestle there that was made out of flagstone and cement, and we'd use cold chisels and kind of make our own climbs. And uh, I read Royal Robin's Basic Rock Craft and kind of made it up with my buddy Keith Wright, who was also from the area. And then we started going to Oklahoma and climbing on Dwayne Raleigh's roots. Up in the Wichita's, uh, another extremely prolific kind of progenitor of the sport for all yeah. of us that grew up around here. Yeah. yeah, and a big mentor for me as well. I did not know that. Yeah, Dwayne and I go back till you know. I think I met him in like the seventies. We were camped out at 
his area, which is Quartz Mountain, up mm-hmm. in uh, up in the Wichita's. I love that place. And uh, this guy came up. He was with his girlfriend, and and a friend of mine is like, you know, I really wish I could meet that Dwayne Raleigh guy. He must be ten feet tall. You know, the way that he places the bolts, and uh, you know, I just don't believe he did all those climbs. And just going on about that. And the girl with Dwayne goes, well, this is Dwayne right here. <laughs> so we got busted for like talking shit on Dwayne in front of his girlfriend. And that was the first time I met Dwayne. And, and uh, uh, awesome. I learned to climb on his roots. And then uh, if I'm known for anything, it's probably as the editor of Rock and Ice for about a decade. Uh, yeah. And uh, I've written uh, over 500 published pieces uh, for Rock and Ice and Climbing Magazine and Ascent and and different magazines as well, like At Large Magazine, different magazines about mainly about adventure sports and about climbing. Okay. Yeah. And I also partnered with John Long and and we did three screenplays for a Hollywood producer called, uh, his name is Steve Schwartz. Uh, his his company is Chalkstone Pictures. I'm familiar with them. I, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, they did The Road, the movie The Road and Tree oh. of Life and a bunch of Brad Pitt films. And I did good, not know that. Good production company. Yeah. So, I was about to say The Road is an amazing, amazing movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It really is. It's a good production company. So those are my main mentors would be Dwayne Raleigh and John Law. Okay. Yeah. Those are the guys that kind of brought me up. And, and that's who I am because I really, I really think we define ourselves through the relationships we have with other people. Yeah, I would agree. Climbing. You know, I, I would be, I would be nothing without my friends, my partners. You know, I put up a lot of roots, but couldn't have done any of them without help from my buddies. I would immensely agree with that statement. I think that, you know, it's funny, like in the climbing gyms, it's different because, you know, bouldering is the most commonly done thing in the climbing gym. It's this kind of weird thing. It forced it. Sorry, it doesn't force. It allows people to continue this kind of antisocial nature. Uh And I've noticed that climbing is very different from when, I came up because I came up in early 2000s, like that's really early 2000s, late, 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 late 90s is like, I would say I heard of rock climbing because like I was, someone had asked me a while back, I was like, when's the first time you ever heard of rock climbing? I was like, before I ever rock climbed living in Virginia, I just remember walking into a Barnes and Noble looking at a magazine and I was looking for a lowrider magazine. Then I saw a climbing magazine. I was like, oh, that's white people shit. I'm not doing that. <laughs> you got to be crazy to do that. Yeah. And lo and behold, moved to Texas, meet some good, good, good friends. Kenzie Davis, uh, Jared Staines. Um, you know, I met Kyle, met a bunch of people. Um, Kim Puccio, Clint Scales. And it was climbing that honestly really kind of like helped solidify me in my personal time of like kind of. I don't know, like coming into my manhood, coming into my own. And so climbing was really important for me in that. But when I started climbing, it was always who you were climbing with. It was always the partners that you had, the crew, the circle that you have. And now I feel, and I'm guilty of it too, because I use climbing more. It's it's so commercialized now that I can use it as a legitimate form of fitness that I can put my headphones on and just kind of do my thing Training, cruising yeah yeah, yeah, yeah i get away with that but i think it's it i think it's i think it's very romantic as how you how you just talked about uh-huh. your relationships with people and um one yeah. thing i would like to kind of talk to you about is is your bolting and is your roots i want to just briefly touch on that but like sure i have climbed more of your roots and i've cursed your name more than i can think about <laughs> like I think the last time I was like, what in the, like, I was, I, I remember it now. I was climbing with Will Brock and we were up near Lizard Lake and we were climbing, uh, on low hanging fruit. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, and I was just remember getting on this thing and I was like, what crack cocaine have you been smoking <laughs> to do this thing? And I think it's very important that people understand and correct me if I'm wrong, but you are an Iyengar master too in yoga. Oh gosh, I, uh, I would not put the word master after that. Uh, uh, you're a baller in yoga. Let's take master out of the equation. I'll but you're, you're a veteran in yoga. Baller. No, I, I I did study Iyengar yoga with another guy, Christian Lieby. and that's an interesting. That he is an Iyengar master. The guy's a badass yogi, 
And uh, interestingly, uh, that came through climbing as well because he got into climbing and he really wanted to do some bigger routes and, and learn and, and progress as a climber. So he offered to trade me yoga for climbing. Uh-huh. And so we did trips to, we did Half Dome together. We did uh, Big Walls and Potrero together, long trips. And then we also, uh, I moved into uh, his, his back house, his garage apartment. And we went deeply into the study of yoga, not just yoga, but the eight limbs of yoga, including pranayama. We'd get up at 4 a.m. to do breathing exercises. Uh, we, we studied, I mean, an immersive study for a few years um, into yoga and, and all of the, the aspects of it. Uh, not just asana, not just the movements, but the meditation, the, the contemplation, the concentration, the, the breathing practices, pranayama. And then the asana as well. And so uh, Christian was an Iyengar, you know, boss. And he uh, guided me into that practice really deeply. You know, Christian, Christian Lieby would go to uh, India and study with Mr. Iyengar and Mr. Iyengar's daughter, Gita, and his son, uh, I think Prashant is his name. And uh, each year, uh, for a couple of years, he would leave and, uh, he was in Austin, Texas at first, and then he was in uh, Golden, Colorado, where okay. he still is today. And so I would go up and, and take over his classes and, uh, and teach uh, his classes, as well as then teaching from about 1988 or so till 2005, when I left Austin for Colorado. Okay. I was wondering, I was about to ask you for a timestamp on that. So that, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And my buddy Will really attests like your devotion and your dedication to that craft and i guess to like your ability to climb because he was like he's watched you rock climb before and he was just like it's obvious he was like you know in classic will brock voice he's like bro it's like it's obvious that his mastery at yoga makes his climbing better and i was curious like is that actually and i didn't realize it was such a wide scope that you learned so are there any particular things within each one of those disciplines or was it kind of like all encompassing, like climbing is all encompassing that improved your climbing or yeah, I guess that's the simplest way. Did any of that improve your climbing, open it up or give you kind of a different perspective or allow you to achieve bigger and better things? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, and, and it's as climbers, we're always looking for things to make us better climbers and you know, what's the path. And I'd say that, that it's, there's three aspects that come to mind and I, I also have a friend, Alex Catlin, who is a, a first ascensionist down in Mexico. I did a bunch of climbing down in Petro Chico and yep. in northern Mexico as well. And Alex was one of the one of my partners down there and one of the first guys to go down there and discover all that. And and uh and he was uh he was a prolific traveler. And so I at one point I'd been climbing for twenty years or something. I've been climbing for forty three years, something like that. And then uh you know, 20 years in, I was kind of like, how am I going to get better? And flexibility came with the yoga. Mm-hmm. The strength comes with, you know, I was a, a pole vaulter through college. I ran mm-hmm. track, you know, went to, went to college and, and did that and developed a lot of strength and, and a lot of gymnastics, sort of that kind of strength. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Flexibility was yoga. And then the other missing aspect, it's like, what can I do, Alex? And he's like, travel, you know, so it's like strength flexibility and just travel, just seeing other places, getting on other routes, other kinds of rock types, uh, exper- widening your yes. you know, experience. And, your, yes. and uh, I, I think that that was, that was really wise uh, for Alex to point out that that's an integral thing. But, uh, you know, yoga is especially good because it, it develops not only that flexibility, but the ability to lift that leg and hold it at extension, you know, it's strength and flexibility. And then the really the best thing I think that yoga does is it offers an active recovery. You know, certain kinds of yoga maybe are more intense, like the Ashtanga styles, Vinyasa, yeah. but an Iyengar style, which is longer holding of postures, a real uh, focus on structural alignment. The use of props, these like aspects of Iyengar yoga 
make it especially suited for recovery, ah, I didn't which know I think that. is a, a missing element for for many of us who just like climb, 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 and and we uh, neglect that essential stage of recovery, which I think is where yoga really shines. Pro tip: I'm stealing that beta because like. <laughs> Uh, like Ashtanga and I guess Vinyasana, whatever else you just said, I'm yeah. terrible at them. So, but I, I think those are like the most popular kinds. And I always feel like when I go to yoga, I'm always like just so wiped out yeah. even more than I'm just. Get your ass kicked, you know? Yeah. So it's, yeah. It, it's amazingly hard, but I want to back up for a hot second because you touched on something that like struck a big chord with me. And I remember the largest jump in my climbing is when I, back in the day of old school Dallas rocks days, uh, I used to close down the youth program for the whole summer and I would just hit the road. And yeah. for five or six summers, I have a 40 Conaline van. I bought that thing with, I think I had 102,000 miles on it. The engine crapped out last year. It has 498,000 miles on it. I, I rode that thing into the ground, but I got so strong climbing on such different varieties of rock. And one of my things, the biggest compliment I've ever received from someone climbing, they're like, you read, you assess, and then you do. There's none of this like real hesitation. But he's like, but my buddy is like, but you don't think you're that strong of a climber. He's like, but I think you are. And the thing that I've always expressed to him is like, when you climb enough different stone, the best way I can describe it is it's like studying different it's like I have a friend who can paint and he can copy anyone's artwork. He's amazingly good. But he said, he's like, until you see enough pieces, until you try to mimic these things, you can't do it. But like he can replicate art. So good. So, so, so good. Right, right. And I think this is kind of a weird backwards way to correlate it. But I think climbing is the same way. It's like once you try a ton of different stone, your mental ability allows your strength and everything else to jump and go forward. And yeah. I think I was very puzzled when you said travel. And once you like put the glue together, that makes so, 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 so yeah, much sense. It does. It made sense to me when Alex was, was talking about it. And, and then I tried to do that. I tried to get out there and, and really get all around the world. And I've always really just enjoyed mostly the intimacy that is, that happens when you're putting up a first ascent. So, I've been all over the place. I, I generally climb on my own roots that I put up, which is, it's not the best way to get strong, but you know, I, I, it is one time is. I was in the Yukon uh, with Kurt Smith and Scott Cosgrove. We did a uh, climb on uh, proboscis called Yukon Tears. It was a pretty cool, like a uh, 24 pitch line. And, uh, and we were looking at the wall. We had just helicoptered in and, like, well, we, maybe we should do Skinner's route. Todd Skinner and Paul okay. Gana had done uh, a route called the Great Canadian Knife. And it was kind of a bolted sport climb. And it was, you know, hard but proud. And Kurt said, you know, I was talking to Jim Bridwell, another kind of legend. dude, And he said, never travel this far, spend this much money to do somebody else's climb. <laughs> I took that to the bank and I, I don't ever do anybody else's roots if I can help it. Yeah. Too hard, man. On sightings too hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I can agree with you on that one. Dude. So that was important. And, uh, you correct me if I'm wrong, but now did you write the original or did you co-write the original Texas limestoner? Yeah. I wrote Texas limestoner. Okay. Yeah. Uh, me and a guy named Kevin Gallagher put it together. I wrote all of it. And Kevin and I compiled it and got it published and went in together uh, to pay the cost. Nice, nice. He helped draw the topos. And, you know, again, your partners are an integral part. But I wrote all the words and all that to those those old guidebooks. Yeah, know? I have that book. So I nice. like this. Texas Limestone. Yep. Yeah, Limestone that's probably too. my one guilty pleasure. I collect guidebooks nice. and I just have a ton of them. And I think that's like my definitely my pastime when I want to just like get my psych high. I'll just pull up. Now, did you write one and two and yes. just every single one? Yeah, I wrote all the, well, one and two, uh, those were the only guides to Texas, central Texas for a time. long time. And then, uh, and then after that, some other folks came, John Hogue, mm -hmm. I think has a more recent guidebook. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the most, I think right now, from what I understand, 
the only comprehensive guidebook that's coming out is by Matt Dendy and, okay. and a few other people, but it's all bouldering. It is just because oh, bouldering has exploded right. in, in, in Texas, just because there's so much. I think people are finally finding a lot of the riverside bouldering that's just been sitting around forever. Sure. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Well, it's funny. I go to Mountain Project and I see a, a lot of lines that me and Rick Watson and, and uh, my buddies back in Austin did back in the day, like the Spear Point or whatever. And it's like first ascent unknown. <laughs> uh, you need to fix that. Or do you Hell, even you care? Know, who knows? I don't care. I don't yeah. care. Some talk away Indian probably went. Native American went That's like. If we're going to be honest about it. Yeah. yeah those yeah. guys were probably out there playing around and sending everything back in the days. Oh my giving, God. giving people credit for first ascents is, is iffy. So let's touch on that actually, because, you know, I, um, I kind of briefly talked to you about this. And um, for those of you guys who are listening, uh, I have mentioned this project that I'm working on and we will not get into the depths of this here, but there will be a future podcast coming on to this, but I've been working on trying to, expand and open areas that are existing in texas but there's a lot of credit given to first ascensionists and people i feel like and me i try to avoid this so and then just like i want to make that very clear like but i feel like people first ascensionists have either wanted or people try to put them in the same category as like Alex Hano, Chris Sharma, like these gods that live on Mount Olympus and the rest of us are just mere mortals that are trying to catch up. And people look at first ascensionists the same way. And I've met first ascensionists that want that same credit and want that same notoriety. And to me personally, I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, the, the, the route is the same, no matter what, like the rock is the rock. It's not changing anything. You just sunk some bolts into it and just made it fun for other people to be able to get on. But I guess, the question I'm trying to ask is this is, do you feel that that is something that is done? Like a lot of credit is given to first ascensionists or if someone's want it, two questions, if someone, do you feel like too much credit or a lot of this is given into first ascensionists and if someone wants to get into bolting and into establishing it and be and someone who opens up route, what is, and I'll repeat this question, but what, do they need to have going into this in their mind and their heart and their gut? Because I feel like people want it because of notoriety and ego and a legend. Uh, and I don't, and I think that is the wrong reason to get into it. Cause you're going to get someone hurt over the long run. Mm -hmm. uh, so first question is, um, kind of lost my own train of thought well, here. Let me just kind of, that's yeah, great. There's a lot there and we can unpack it, you know, yeah. a little bit slowly, but uh, one thing, that that just stood out to me, you know, as a first ascensionist. First of all, the the reason that I do first ascents in the beginning was in 1977. There were no routes to climb. You know, there was Dwayne's routes and in, in the Wichita's. There was uh, uh, James Crump and crew at Enchanted Rock, and that was the only climbing around. So, okay. in order to uh, just have things to climb, no gems. You know, I just got into that now. Then I started to discover, wow, there's just so much fun, first of all, and so much like intimacy, you know, involved in that. You get there and you toothbrush off the climbs and you get closer to the holds and the rock. And then there's the exploration involved in it, finding the trail in, um, you know, rigging a safe anchor. It's just doing a first ascent is much more involved and it's, it requires more like intimacy with the rock is the way that I put it. So Agreed. you get a lot out of that. Uh, personally, I get a lot out of it. Now, in terms of, you know, whether we should give credit, extra credit to first ascensionists, uh, I know I see your point about some people will get into it as an ego thing. But um, the anecdote that came to mind is, you know, when I did uh, the first ascent of this climb down in Mexico, it was called uh, Sendero Luminoso, which is a Honold, Honold went and soloed that line. I remember that. So, you know, you bring up Alex Honold as a, as a super human climber, which for sure the dude is. But you know what he did? The, the first thing that he did after he soloed that line, not maybe not the first thing, but early on, soon after, he called me up, you know, called me up and said, hey, even before he soloed it, 
he got in touch and said, hey, we're going through and we're pulling out cactus and we're brushing these holds off. And I just wanted to check with you. How do you feel about that? Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, man, that's pretty cool. You know, if Alex Honnold is doing that, then that acknowledgement feels good to the first ascensionist. And I think it really depends on the route. You know, Alex Honnold felt like it was important and worthwhile. And just because he's a good dude and is connected with the history of climbing, he wanted to reach out to the the people that did that route first out of respect and just out of just a good guy, you know, good heart. So there's a, a way to approach respecting the first ascent that I think is a positive way. Now, you know, I don't think it's necessary to to give that level of respect for some of the roots that I did at Rymers, for example, right? Okay. It's a yeah. whole different thing. Yeah. I spent 20 days, Kurt Smith, Pete Peacock, Kevin Gallagher, and I went down and we developed this 2000 foot route. We, we bolted it. We did it on lead. We hung out. We lived on that wall. We risked rock ball. You know, we pioneered a line up a North wall in Mexico. It's the size of El Cap almost. Uh, if you do the whole thing, it's 3,000 feet. You know? So that's a different kind of climb than a 25-foot route at Rymer. So when somebody Absolutely. calls me up and they're like, hey, can I add a bolt to Velcro Rodeo, some 12A that I put up on the, the, this wall? Maybe it was you that called me up. But, but I'm like, of course, you know, I, that's your, that is your rock. That is your area. You know, we all own the rock. Nobody owns the rock. And equally important to the acknowledgement that you can give to a first ascensionist just because you respect that person or whatever, is the first ascensionist acknowledging the fact that she doesn't own the rock. You know, she doesn't have a special place. These are, you know, these things were created. These are God made that rock and God came up with the the uh the sequence the dance that we do to get up that rock and as first ascensionists we can influence that dance a little bit by where we choose to put protection and the line that we choose to take and if the first ascensionist does a good job you know if the first ascensionist has the eye you know you and i understand what that is it's the ability to look at a piece of stone after years of climbing and say Oh, you know, it would be better if it traverses out to the right. And now in this section, we'll make it a little bit more run out and it'll enhance the experience and it will stick with, and the story will be a better story mm-hmm. that's told, you know, sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we get it wrong and, and you're cursing me and you're like, <laughs> what, the, what kind of crack is that dude smoking? Right. And in that case, we deserve the approbation that gets put on us, you know, like we deserve all that cursing. So, you know, when you pick up the drill or you you pick up the sharp end of the rope and you cut out into virgin territory, it comes with a lot of responsibility and the acceptance that, you know, whatever the crowd comes back with, well, you take it. If it's if it's praise, then maybe you're entitled to that, you know. Yeah. If it's like you screwed up and you made yeah. a bad line, you also have to accept that as well. So it's a great question. I really think that it depends on, you know, a lot, a lot depends on the individual and, and their reasons or motivations for doing it. Mm-hmm. I've always really, in, in the early days, it was about making run out scary lines and that was ego intensive. Yeah. But then as I matured as a climber and a first ascensionist, I really enjoy making safe roots. If there's loose flakes that could come off and hurt somebody, I'll glue those flakes. It's all about safety and it's secondarily about the experience for the climber. And so I think I've gotten better over the years at sort of figuring out what's going to provide a good experience. And then, you know, what happens is, is, as you mature as a first ascensionist, you see somebody come out, they get scared on your route, they fail on your route, and 
They don't say, wow, I was really scared. You're a really good climber. What they say is that route sucked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you suck. But yeah. when they go out and they have a great time and they succeed on your routes, they come back and they say, five stars, great route. Jeff Jackson is awesome. He's a master. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's what I want to hear. And so those are the roots that I try and create these days. You know, uh, I, I, wanna, I want people to have a good time. I do. I do see that. I definitely think, you know, it's funny. I was, it was so we talked about uh, low hanging fruit and I definitely was cursing you on that. Yeah. But I was also cursing you because like, I just did not understand how to link this thing together. And when I finally figured out the beta and putting it together and then doing it ground up, I was just like, this thing is like poetry. It is like a work of art. Like I, like, and I, I really got to toot your horn on that route. Cause like I had no, like when you're on it and you just don't know what's going on and it's such a unique piece of stone in the middle of nowhere. Oh, right. That's like the thing too. That's like, like 8,000 feet up. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. But I definitely, I forgot about that. That definitely has a coming from Dallas to there. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause I literally flew in. I was there for like in Denver for like maybe 24 hours. And then we drove up to uh, Glenwood Springs and then we were just hanging out in Glenwood Springs. And then just, uh, we went there. My favorite place to this day, hands down is still the frying pan. And uh, that place is just magical. Yeah, man. I went up there. There was like just a few roots at that lower crag. Boy, what a, what a gift. I hope you guys are really enjoying this conversation. Jeff is an amazing person. It's really interesting to hear his growth through climbing of how he was in the beginning and how he is now and everything. And guys, please make sure you follow him. He's actually developing, which we didn't get a chance to talk about this, but we will when we're meeting up again in the near future. He is developing so much on the island of Hawaii. It is unreal. And I cannot tell you how excited I am. Because if you know Jex Jackson's roots, you can only bet your bottom dollar that it's going to be good. But let's go ahead and get into this. I want to thank our sponsors for this episode, Organic Climbing and Beyond Clothing. Beyond Clothing makes clothing that is set up for anywhere in this big, beautiful globe that we live in. Their layering systems can get you anywhere and help you succeed at whatever you're trying to do. So if you guys haven't already, please check out Beyond Clothing. Whenever you get a chance, drop in a promo code, uh, Sons and Suffers 20, and we will give you 20% off. That helps the podcast. That helps you get some fresh gear. Boom. All right. Let's just get, let's get back to the show. I'm sorry. I'm giddy. I'm too excited. Ooh. Dude, that place is like, it's a gem in the middle of nowhere. Dude, how did you find that? Actually, that's a really good question because I know how I find roots and I definitely want to show you a couple things that I found, but like, how in the world do you find some of these things? Cause like the frying pan is a perfect example. Like, like you can barely see it from yeah. driving on the road. Like you right, right. barely even notice it. And that's like, you have to be looking for it. So how have you, have it been people who show you these things? Yeah, mostly, mostly it's locals. that will come through BJ Spara. And I can't remember who first took me up to that frag. Um, yeah, Josh, uh, I'm spacing his last name, mm-hmm. but we, we climbed it. With, I climbed with some locals. I moved to Carbondale in 2007, was it? I can't remember. Kai, my oldest, was born in 2007. We must have moved there 2005. And I was there from 2005 to 2015 editing. Okay. Uh, you know, Rock and Ice. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and amazingly enough, there was, there's very little really developed climbing in the Carbondale area, despite having... Climbing Magazine and Rock and Ice, the two biggest climbing magazines in the, my in the U.S. There's very little developed climbing there. One, those those guys in the climbing magazines, they work their asses off, as yeah. I soon found out. But uh, the other reason, I, who knows? Who knows why? Uh, motivation is a big part of it. People raising families and working really hard, that's another part of it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to, to get in there. And have somebody like BJ, he has a, a website, Splitter Choss, uh, yeah. kind of a great website too. I'll plug BJ's site. And, um, and the folks in Carbondale, uh, 
that that sort of pointed me in that direction. And then I got up to the crag and um, and I just kind of went wild. You know, every every spare moment that I had, I would head up there and I had a good paying job. I was editing, uh, had no kids. It was 20, 25 minutes away, 30 minute hike. And I just went ape shit up there and yeah, I can a ton tell. of roots. And it's just gorgeous. If, uh, you know, for your listeners, if you, if you head to the town of Basalt and, and go check out the, you can check it out in a, a guidebook called, uh, Western Sloper, I think yep. it's the yep. the guidebook to the Western Slope, and this area is a is a gem. It it takes some effort to get to it, mm-hmm. but there's maybe a couple hundred roots um, on the most splitter sandstone. That's kind of a combination of El Dorado Canyon and uh, and Mill Creek mm-hmm. in Utah. Just uh, very interesting, unique sequences. You know, hard to read, but Beautiful, beautiful climbing. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, bolted and mixed. You know? Yeah, I went there. My Will had given me the advice to go there, and I was there to try to. I was training there to hopefully, which I didn't end up sending it, but I was using a lot of your routes there to try to do the Velvet Tongue in Black uh, Black Velvet Canyon. Yeah, in um, in yeah, in Vegas, which. Vegas. That place, like that, because right where the hardest parts get in that in that canyon, the stone is almost identical. Really, which yeah. is really interesting. It's like there's this That's weird true. band, like around eight nine hundred feet up, and it's just this massive band that just gets seems really glassy and polished, but it just gets so thin and it's yeah. so delicate. And you just have to this once again. This is where like all this yoga and all this stuff pops into my mind. I was like literally thinking in my mind, I was like I need to be better at just like holding this position, right. balancing and putting this micro TCU in and trying to just be able to move. And yeah. I, when I saw that area, I was just like, this is exactly yep. like this thing. And so that's true. I, I just I went ape shit. Uh, I just went ape shit up there. Like, as you said, just nice. trying to get better at that. Yeah. It's a good place to trade for uh, red rocks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went with my buddy, Patrick O'Donnell. He's a Bishop guy. Another Austin, I met in Austin and, uh, and we did, uh, the rainbow wall up there. And mm-hmm. I, I really felt like climbing at the frying pan was helpful for sending. Yeah. So you have definitely named a lot of people and you kind of have, it, you it sparked this idea and I've been wanting to do this series and I would definitely like to, if you have time in the future, kind of recruit your help on this, but. I want to do a series called Texas's gift to rock climbing, AKA you're welcome America, because <laughs> I yeah. like almost everywhere I've ever gone, I hear stories of Texans just coming up and just being prolific and climbing everywhere. Yeah. Leighton, and I feel, Core. No, Leighton Core. I don't know if you knew he was, I don't know that name. Yeah. Leighton is a, he's old school master. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so I feel like there was such a small, as you said, like there was, there was basically Enchanted Rock and there was um, right in the Wichita's. Uh, oh my God. It just escaped my brain. Quartz. Quartz. Yeah. Yep. I love that place. Um, Me too. It's basically Wichita's and Quartz. And I feel like whatever crew, it, I think from what I understand, about two, realistically two, barely three, but realistically two generations came out of there and then just exploded oh, yeah. across yeah. the country. Cause you have like the, the original diehards that were just, you know, one or two dudes just doing it. And then they built a crew and then those people built a crew. And then from that moment on it exploded and then rock climbing picked up popularity in general. Right. Right. And then that's it. But from once those, and I think honestly, you know, the introduction of the internet, more magazines, things sure. like that, definitely kind of help the expansion of this process oh, yeah, too. Yeah. But I've always been so curious and I, I, I just have this super strong hunch that like, if you were to take away every Texan that has <laughs> ever bolted or done anything, there would be a lot of sad, sad, sad climbers. Immediately. Be, like, like imagine like there'd a, be a big hole in the heart of rock climbing. Yeah. It'd be huge. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So it's just the, the thought that just popped in my mind and I've been like <laughs> wanting to rattle around with it for a while. And you're like, you're naming these people. And I'm like, okay, yes, this, this, this well, yeah, is I mean, Rapesh, Chuggin, Clayton, Reagan, those are Dallas guys. And they, they still, you know, that's, that was the generation after me and Dwayne and, 
and Jack Molesky, you mm-hmm. know, and then Clayton and uh, and Rapesh Chuggin, those guys, Dallas area guys, and they still have some of the hardest roots in, in America. You know, I lived, I bought a piece of land on a place called Flat Creek that's outside of Austin, and and it's a, it's private, but it's still some folks uh, still climb there, and you know, beautiful area, completely closed, but there are you know people visitors like Jonathan Segrist. And uh, I can't remember uh, uh, the guy's name is is escaping me. But if you he just did a five fifteen there, you know, repeated mm-hmm. a route that that Rapesh and Clayton did. Like Rapesh, I think did the first ascent. I me mine, maybe it was called. Yeah, Nick Dunnell came back, and you know, there's like nine A's, nine A pluses that are out there in Texas and. These guys are operating in a vacuum, you know. It's uh, it's it's just insane how good they are. Yeah, you know, there's something there. Like I'm nothing, but I I bolt a lot of lines. But those guys are real deal. Yeah, they're monsters. Know? Yeah, and so I've always said this for a long time, but I think Texas has some of the best sport climbing in the country. It's just there's so much private land. Yeah, and like, that's yeah. like that's the that's thing tough. that like drives me up the wall. Yeah. And I have been traveling. And I found some gorgeous stuff that I want to show you later, but it's one of those things where it's like the hardest thing I've met that dealt with is me walking up to landowners and I'm out on these properties, just looking, walking up to landowners. And I, you know, National Geographic don't hate me for saying this, but I literally wear a t-shirt that says National Geographic (laughs) photographer so they don't shoot me Uh because, you know, because, you know, it like. You got One, your dreads, you know. You, yeah, I mean, just being blank, you know, being a brother in the middle of like 700 miles on so. some rancher's uh-huh. property, he thinks I'm probably trying to steal his cattle. And I'm like knows, out there with know. a camera and I'm just take, taking photos. And he's like, oh, oh, okay. He's like, is my ranch going to be in that? I was like, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I, I don't know. You know, right. and I'm probably, I don't, hopefully, hopefully I'm they don't need listen to take to these ropes and rappel down your cliffs first to see if the endangered species that I'm going to report on is okay. Yeah. He yeah. comes back. There's like shiny bolts. up. <laughs> <laughs> this is just for Nash, Nat Geo now. Yeah. And, uh, but it's just the reality of it is yeah. in, uh, just walking around. So, boy, I know, bro. It's like getting like How shot did you guys at. deal with that? I've, oh, I've heard this, stories. Yeah. I've heard the stories of you guys having like, people taking 22s and hopefully no one ever shot a 308 at you. Oh God, man. You know, I've, I've, I've had shotgun blasts into the wall next to me, you know, where I'm like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? And uh, I'll be down in a second. Boom. You'll get down now, boy. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Cleaver, you know, the Chisholm. Oh yeah. Whatever y'all call it now. I don't know. It's the burn. The burn. Still the burn. It's still the burn. Yeah. Yeah. The burn. Uh, Access has changed that now. Actually, there's a, there's an, there's a zone that was opening up, but I think, I think the last great rain that we had came through, like really just like destroyed a big possible trail trail that went through. And there is, um, I started working on this progress project, but like a, a friend of mine who was really spearheading and I was helping him, but there's like one landowner that we just need to get permission to cross literally like 20 feet of his property. Oh yeah. And then you'll have access to it. Wow. Cool. But like the guy's just like not having it. Well, that, that area is a really interesting area. You know, that, that was, I did a route in like maybe 83, 80. 80, I graduated call, uh, high school in 82. So it must have been 82. And I, I think it's like 13B, something like that. Are you? And so, uh, Mariner? The Mariner was later. Okay. Yep. And uh, this was called Lizard King. Oh, yeah. I know this route. Yeah. And, uh, and Dwayne and Jack, uh, those guys were really spearheaded a, a lot of the development there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, a lot of the the five thirteens and Dwayne pointed out to me not too long ago that those were probably among the first five thirteen uh limestone five thirteens for sure and among the first five thirteens around. Probably you know, sport, I mean I can climbing. I mean the 82, oldest, 81. Yeah, because what when because the only five thirteen I ever know that's like earlier, supposedly earlier that is in City of Rocks yeah, in Idaho. Sure, they're out there, but just interesting. Yeah, yeah. Just think about it. So like, you know, your point about Texans and Texas being a, a sort of a, a 
this kind of low key. world in its own low key sort of place where a lot was going on and a lot has always gone on, you know, point taken, it, it actually was. Yeah. We were motivated at the time. And we were also removed a bit from the, the ethical and stylistic constraints that other American climbers were putting on themselves uh, in the, uh, the, the epicenters of climbing like Yosemite mm-hmm. and Eldo and, and places where people were climbing were still really uh, preoccupied with style, you know, ground up, uh, no hang dogging. You know, you'd, you'd yeah. fall, you'd have to lower, you couldn't work above. And we we went and we attempted to apply these these things to uh, 30, 40 foot pocketed limestone climbs. And the result was like broken ankles and, you know, horrible heel injuries and you know, oh. hooks were popping. And eventually, uh, thanks to Dwayne and Jack, uh, I got over this idea that we can only do it this way because backer and. John Backer and yeah. Rod Kalkin, those our gods said it. You know, there actually were, were no stone tablets where these commandments were written down. Those guys like clued me into that. Yeah. And at first I was like, oh, you guys can't be up there hang dogging. And, and, and like so many things with Dwayne and Jack and my mentors, they really helped me to see wait, we can explore boundaries in a, in a safe way and we can experiment how how hard is that to get over because i know my mentors uh like mark pell when i teaching me how to trad climb and then rob kenderson definitely uh kenzie davis and a few other people but mark is probably the person who like really spearheaded me and i remember just arguing with him new what is it tooth and nail hair and he was like you don't hang on your trad gear i'm like well he's like and you don't fall on your gear i'm like then what's it for (laughs) you know and he don't was like fall the leader does not fall right yeah and i was like well what's it for then i'm like you know i was like how am i supposed to push boundaries and then you mentioned track and field you know i was an 800 meter runner oh, wow. and then so i, did, I ran race. open eight God. and uh open eight and 300 meter hurdles were my main event Oof, yeah yeah and so like i i like suffering quite a bit like you must. I, I enjoy <laughs> right you must 800 meter is that it oh, is the event bro oh that's I a rough up. one i like threw up almost God. every time i ran that event and anyone who i tell that to has not run track and field they're like that's so disgusting but anyone who's run track you're like yeah that's oh, far for the course God, it's so rough did you see um oh i cannot remember her name this woman from dallas that just set the record is going to tokyo no i didn't oh okay well i'll show you this race after this but her story about like wanting to try and be the best. And she's like, I don't have time. I only have a finite amount of time in my life to be the best. So I'm just going to go for it now because everyone else was telling me, well, you're young, you should do this. You should do this. And I guess this kind of boils into what we're talking about, but how, like, how was that for you? Like, I know for me, like I am stubborn and I argued, but I do have these humbling moments, but like, do you remember that moment of like this humbling moment of like, well, I guess this is like, was it more of a practical thing? Like, oh, I get to rock climb more. Was it like, well, my mentors are saying this, so I, right, I right. should do this. It's interesting, man. I think it's really difficult. It can be really difficult to, to buck the paradigm, buck the rules, you know, whether it's in your choices in life in general, the way that you look, you know, going against the norm is always difficult. And then, and then climbing, you know, at, at the time, the only thing that I knew was what was written in the magazines, which is like, you know, I really, I really learned to climb from reading books and reading the magazines. And that's why when I became an editor, I was, I was stoked. I felt like I was doing something kind of important uh, because I got all of the rules and all of the, the, the definition of what it is to be a climber from those magazines being in the out outback sort of backwoods country sort of area of Texas, um, the boonies, so to speak, of rock climbing, that was the only way that I got that. And so when Dwayne and and Jack, Jack came from the gunks, Jack Molesky, and he was I did a not know uh, that. yeah, Jack was a, a prolific first ascensionist. Uh, him and Jeff Gruenberg partnered up to put up some of the hardest climbs in America at the time. In the Schwan Gunks, I the Twilight always thought Zone. his story started here in Texas. No, he was he was a, a well-known, uh, prolific climber, and 
So when those guys came to me in the flesh, then they became, instead of the climbing magazines, the books, I started to see, okay, this is how it's done. And, and those guys really taught me, you know, not only how to climb, but how to live, what to wear, what to eat, what to do. You know, that's, that's what your mentors do. They yeah. tell you how to be. And, uh, and so at first I was really resistant to what I saw them doing, but then I quickly realized just through common sense that, okay, this is how we're going to progress. This yeah. is how we're going to explore and get deeper into this practice, this discipline or this lifestyle is through what they're showing. So it was pretty quick. First yeah. time I saw him kind of strapped up under a roof and, uh, and like practicing moves and hang dogging and whatever else dark arts that they were practicing. I was just horrified. <laughs> and then I was like, well, damn, they, they could climb really hard and, and they're having a lot of fun. And, you know, yeah. uh, every time I fall on this move, I have to lower to the ground. It's kind of seems like bullshit. Let's do what they're doing. And, yeah. and then, yeah. we, then we formed a bond. And uh, Dwayne, Dwayne is still, you know, my best friend, my brother. He's a, he's still, still my mentor and, and uh, just uh, means so much to me. And Jack, of course, was murdered. Yeah. You know, his girlfriend yeah. murdered him in Colorado Springs. Uh, uh, 20 a, years ago, a long yeah, time that ago. That's a tragic story. Yeah. yeah that's very tragic. Yeah, it's a big loss. Yeah. I, I remember talking to my buddy Kenzie Davis about that. And he remembers that because he remembers seeing um, Jimmy Forrester yeah. being really devastated by that happening. Jimmy, right? And then, and then when Jimmy passed, that was like, I, the, I didn't realize how. Like I had like, so when Jimmy Forrester passed, I think I truly was just like really stepping into my own in the climbing community. Cause I didn't realize I had met him, but just in passing at climbing at Carrollton at the old, old exposure gym. Right. And like, that's it. But like, there was a definite low in the community when that happened. It was a sure. big deal. You know, there's, that's another name that we should mention Jimmy Ray Forrester and then uh, Marcus Garcia, Jimmy's partner, you know, those guys, those, those guys were another, they were a generation behind me and Jack and Dwayne and yeah. and they also elevated the sport quite a bit. Yeah. And Jimmy, Jimmy Ray was uh, a, uh, a staunch traditionalist who lived that, that old school style till the end. Yeah. You know, he died soloing in Trio Chico just to it's let folks know. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's, uh, it's weird. I mean, climate, you know, and for those of you guys listening, you know, life is life. Death is a reality for all of us. The only thing that is true is death and taxes. And so hear that. Um, but I do want, and I, I'm only saying this because I know the kids that I coach um, listen to this podcast and the parents that I coach. Obviously, practice safely to the best of your abilities. That's why we talk about bolting rate routes in a safe, fun manner. We want you to come down and talk to us about the route. But Life is life. I'm not, we're not going to sugarcoat this, nor am I going to sugarcoat the reality of like what happens, you know, bad things happen to people sometimes and bad things happen to good people. And hopefully that won't happen to anybody we know. And it all happens of natural causes, but it is what That's it right. is. It is what it is. You know, we do what we can do with uh, following the fundamentals of always backing up and, and, uh, you know, having safe anchors and, and practicing down climbing and, and everything mm -hmm. that you can do. And look, you know, I've been, God, I was, uh, I look back at, at some of the close scrapes I've had, but I realized that it's through the practice of safe climbing that I've been doing this for since 77, you know, it's the reason that I'm still, so yeah, climb safely for sure. Most important thing. It's so funny. Cause I, I listened to you talking and now I, I imagine the kids that I coach um, talking and they talk about like climbs and things that I've done in pe places that I've gone. And it's just like, it's funny. Cause like, I see you through, I see how they see me through how I see you. And it's like this wealth of knowledge just opens up and I'm like super, 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 super grateful for it. And, um, I want to, I want to give you an opportunity to, I want to kind of wrap this up here, but I want to give you kind of an opportunity. Uh, you've, I say, give someone a shout out. I always say that, but you've mentioned more names than I can imagine right now. And I definitely want to talk to those, but a question that I've been recently asking a lot is, is there, and it doesn't have to be related to climbing, 
but is there a book or something that you have gifted someone? Uh, a book, sorry. Is there a book or a book you like to read? And I always use the term gifted someone or gifted people that has just been important to you. Like the, my favorite, one of my favorite books is, uh, is The Sweet Spot, How to Find Your Groove and At Home at Work. It has nothing to do with climbing. Yeah. But what it does allows you to do is realize how to simplify and automate a lot of things in your life so you can prioritize climbing if that's really what you want or prioritize your kids, your whatever's important to you. But I think that's like something and I feel like, I don't know, I feel like the gift of giving some form of literature or giving some things that someone mm-hmm. can take is like really underutilized nowadays. I do too, man. Well, you know, it makes me think of uh, immediately of something that's just been fundamental in my life uh, since the early eighties when I went to college, I went to Dartmouth in New Hampshire and mm-hmm. I studied, uh, one of the first courses that I took was a religion course, survey of religion and, uh, uh, taught by a guy, Ronald Green, who is a, he's like, uh, uh, an advisor to many presidents on ethical matters and stuff. And so great professor, just an amazing dude. And at a certain point we studied uh, Buddhism. Okay. And, uh, and it just like everything clicked for me I immediately was just like, wow, this, this philosophy, you know, it is, it's not ba- it's not really a religion. It's more a practice of being present. And mm-hmm. it just, it all kind of made sense. And it's, there's no proselytizing. You could be a Christian and be a, a Buddhist, you know, it's not that kind of thing. And it, it clicked for me and the book that I read and the, the the form of Buddhism that that resonated the most was Zen, Zen Buddhism, and uh, I've studied and practiced Zen sitting meditation uh, since the early '80s. It's been super profound, and and the one book that I would recommend to climbers is that classic Zen and the Art of Archery. Wow. Okay. Yeah, really interesting. Classic Zen well, and the Art of Archery. It's just called Zen and the Art of Archery. Zen and the Art of Archery. Yeah. Okay. And it's a, it's a super interesting book because it takes this, you know, sport or whatever you want to call archery, you know, target yeah. shooting with a bow and arrow, and it, and it analyzes it in terms of the practice of Zen. That's dope. It's okay. dope. It's cool. It's a cool book. Yeah. Okay. I did not see that one. Okay. That's cool. (laughs) I'm into this. All right. Yeah. Amazon tomorrow. Yeah. Zen and the Art of Archie. Real thin little book. And uh, uh, when I read that book, I was like, wow, this is, this has applications to everything you do from washing the dishes to your climbing, your climbing practice. Wow. Because, you know, climbing is, is, it's practice. It's a practice. It It really is. No, like I always tell people, climbing is a practice in a relationship. And like my clients that like skip out on climbing for a long time, they're like, man, I come back to climbing. It's so hard. And my climbing is like a dating relationship. You ignore your significant other for a while. You're going to pay the price. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You come back uh-huh. and climbing's the same way. Right. Like I'm almost everybody coming out and we all know this feeling, but everybody coming out of quarantine was just like, oh, this is real hard again. You know, for the right. people who are lucky enough to have home gyms, home walls, or have a crag in their backyard, different story. Right. But, uh, oh, dude, yeah. It's, it's a, your project is a—it's like a dysfunctional relationship. You know, you like <laughs> you look lovingly at it, you study it, you hang baubles on it, you clean it up, you brush it, you pay attention to it. When you're not with it, you think about it. You know, uh, when you're with it, it rejects you <laughs> over and over and oh over again. <laughs> and then one day you finally do the project, and then you come down and you're like, oh. What's next? You know, what's the next relationship? It's, yeah, it's been fun, but uh, we're done. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I want to thank you for your time. Oh, I want to thank you for coming out. Thank you. I really yeah. appreciate you. And I look forward to having the opportunity to continue to talk to you uh, and hopefully walk parallel with you in your journey every once in a while. Definitely, man. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for giving me a, a platform to talk about my favorite thing, climbing. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap. I hope you have enjoyed the show. I, I just, I, I'm cheesing so much. I hope you can hear it in my voice. I, I love this man. 
I have chased after this man's routes most of my life. Him and Jeremy Collins are probably the two most prolific route developers I've ever met in my life. And I just, I love the beauty and the synergy that they find with climbing and the rock and everything that they do. It's just gorgeous. But as always, I appreciate you guys like following, subscribing and sharing these episodes. And remember, if you're not suffering, are you really even sending at all? Get your naughty, yo, yo.